Today, if you have your Bible, if you'll take and turn with us to John chapter 7 and uh, verse 1, I believe we can receive a fresh word from God here. When we're thinking about this as you're turning there, and when you begin to live out the uncomfortable gospel, when you begin to live out the uncomfortable gospel, you will never be right with man. When you begin to walk out the uncomfortable gospel, society as a whole is running in direct opposition against you. That's why we have so much conformity to the world and, and, and our, our messages today, our, our Bibles today are being written. I mean, we're getting new translations left and right and so many of these translations that are coming back, they're, they're coming back and they're, they're conforming. Because we look at this, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it because we looked at it in great detail last week, that the gospel is meant for us to conform our life to the gospel, not to conform the gospel to our life. Now, I know that sounds good in theory, but is somebody else in here thinking, Pastor, that sure is hard. Because I am telling you that when you want to be right with God... And you start walking out the gospel, the gospel, it takes you to a whole new level. But the interesting thing that I want to share with you is just because I really want you to get this. Just because you start walking out and molding your life to the gospel, don't expect the world to be excited about it. Now, we would naturally think that the lost world wouldn't be excited about it, but I'm telling you, don't expect believers to be excited about it. Because we have this thing, such easy believism, and we want, we want the gospel according, not, not, not the gospel according to God, but the gospel according to Brad, the gospel according to your name, whoever you are. We want it according to us. We want to we wanna deal with the gospel on our terms and on our time not with God's terms and God's time. And so when we think about this, you're going to be, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I want you to get this, when the, this sermon series is going to change your life, not because I'm preaching it, because it's the gospel. It's the pure, uncomfortable gospel. And when you start walking out the uncomfortable gospel and you start obeying the uncomfortable gospel, don't, don't think people's going to be excited about your newfound desire to live out the gospel. Matter of fact, I've learned something about, let me, let me tell you something I've learned after 18 years of being a pastor. Those who you think won't will, and those who you think will won't. Now there's a, a pastoral premise behind that, that people you think would volunteer or would do something won't, and then those who you think won't, they become the very ones that are fired up saying, wow, let's go charge that hill and let's do it. Now, you could take that principle and apply it to your life and live out the same premise and people that you would think would be your biggest cheerleader because you are putting on your big boy pants and your big girl pants and you're living out the gospel according to Jesus Christ. You would think, man, this person's a believer. They're going to be excited for my newfound fervor, my newfound desire to walk this thing out and live for God. And all of a sudden, what's going to happen is the uncomfortable gospel in you is going to begin to make something uncomfortable in their life, and they're going to say, no, I, I don't want part of it. Matter of fact, I had somebody ask me this one time when I was trying to live out the uncomfortable gospel. So I, I'm telling you, somebody that was a hero to me, they said, how long are you going to be like this? How long are you going to, 
How long are you going to be like this? How long are you going to take the Bible literally? How long are you going to walk it out? I said, well, I hope forever. And they said, well, you know, when you were doing such and such, nobody ever came to you. And I said, with tears in my eyes, I said, you know what? You're right. I was living in my life contrary to the word of God. And I was going to church every Sunday. And not one person loved me enough to point me in the direction of the uncomfortable gospel and say, God has more for you. Not that God has a big paddle and he wants to whip you into submission. No. God has a greater plan for my life than for me to live my life mediocre in the, in the trenches of humanity, living according to the, the gospel according to man. And when I live the gospel according to the word of God, it takes you to a whole new level and a whole new plane. And nobody, I tell you again, nobody loved me enough to say, son, God's got more for you. God's got more for you. But whenever I tapped into it, I found a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 57 that says, but thanks be to Christ who, but thanks be to Christ who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. When I found that verse, it changed my life and put me on a whole new pathway and took me down the pathway of the uncomfortable gospel. And so last week we looked at this and man, we looked at the message was so the gospel that Jesus was speaking was so uncomfortable. And today I want us to think about the uncomfortable timing. God's uncomfortable timing. When Jesus went public and performed the miracles, people said, you have a demon. You remember that? He was doing all these miraculous things, and they were saying, you've got a demon. Well, then he would go in private, and he wouldn't do anything, and they would say, well, you need to be out there performing miracles. You ever felt like that? You couldn't do anything right. Every crowd you turned to had a different perception for you. And that is when we're living our life according to the insight of man. But when you begin to live your life according to the gospel, it takes on a whole new meaning. When we walk through this, we see something very interesting here of what God was doing, that Jesus was willing to pay the price. We know he paid the ultimate price. But look at what it says in John chapter 7 and verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled into Galilee. What was it after? You remember? Well, John 6, 6, 6. Many of them turned and walked with him no more. And he turned to the twelve and he said, Do you boys also want to go away? Peter said, Lord, where else can we go? Thou hast the words of life. Speaking a little King James for you there this morning. And so as we think about this, we, we see that what he was saying here was so unique in what he was doing. And so in John chapter 7, verse 1, after this, Jesus traveled to Galilee. And since he did not want to travel in Judea because of the Jews, they were trying to kill him. The Jewish festival of the tabernacle was happening. It was near. So his brothers said to him, leave, leave here and go to Judea so your disciples can see the works that you're doing. Underline that in your Bible. Your disciples can see the works that you're doing. For no one does anything in secret while he is seeking public recognition. But if you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers believed in him. Underline that. Not even his brothers believed in him. The first thing that I want to tell you about in the uncomfortable timing was that there's a saying, time makes everything better. And in theory, it sometimes does. But in Jesus' life, it didn't. Matter of fact, it didn't change anything. Time heals all wounds. It really doesn't, 
If you don't deal with a wound, you just learn to cope. And so we substitute coping for healing. That's where you say, boy, preacher, that's good. Because we substitute coping for healing. And there's a big difference in learning to cope with something. And being whole. And being healed. And your life taking on a whole new meaning. Six months had passed. I know the Bible says after these things. John really is not worried as much about chronological events as much as he is about a theological principle as he's writing the Gospel of John. And so six months had passed between John 666 where they turned and walked away and now uh, what was happening here in John chapter 7 and verse 1. What was happening in John chapter 7 and verse 1? Six months had passed and they were still ticked about a message he had preached six months earlier. We know it was six months because the, the, the festival, the tabernacle festival was starting to take place. What was the purpose of this? What was the purpose of the festival of the tabernacles? The festival of the tabernacles, you got to get this. The main purpose of it was to celebrate the presence of God. There was only a couple of times in the Old Testament. It wasn't all the time that they celebrated this. The presence of God, when it showed up in such a unique way, and they would celebrate the tabernacle, the festival of the tabernacles. So there's a couple of things happening here. It's the time of the year where they celebrate, and now very ritualistically under the Jewish system of religion, the time where we celebrated the presence of God. You see, most people, this is where a lot of Christians live. Their whole life is living in the rearview mirror. They think back, oh, I remember when. I remember when God did this. I remember when God did this. I remember when God did that. And they're living their life in past tense because they're not walking in the presence of God on a daily basis. I'm telling you that God doesn't want you to live on something that happened six months ago. God doesn't want you to live on something that happened six years ago. God wants to show up in your life this week. He wants to show up in your life today. I want to ask you something today. How many of you could stand up right now? Don't do it. Stand up, though, and give an account to God this week how he moved in your life in a tremendous way. I'm telling you that if we're not seeing God move in our life on a regular basis, we ought to be more, we ought to become more desperate. We ought to have a greater hunger and a greater thirst for God to move in a unique way. I'm happy that this week I was able to see God move in my life in a unique way. And as we look at this, time didn't change the circumstances. They were mad at Jesus six months ago and they wanted to kill him. Six months had passed, they were still mad at him and wanted to kill him. Jesus was sad because many people who walked with him turned and walked away and didn't walk with him anymore. You see, the circumstances had not changed. You know something else that didn't change? The beliefs of many of the disciples didn't change. And not just his disciples, but his brothers. His brothers were still unbelieving. Look at it, if you will. Look at verse 3. It says, so his brothers said to him, his brother said to him, leave here, go to Judea so that your disciples can see your works that you're doing. 
You see, the problem is that they were having to prop their belief in Christ up on miracles. They were needing to have miracles to encourage them to continue to follow him. Listen, we don't follow God because of the miracles. The miracles come because we follow God. If you're needing a miracle, if you're needing the fish, if you're needing the bread, if you're needing the sick to be healed, if you're needing the supernatural to happen for you to follow God, then you have a half-hearted belief system in God. But when you follow Christ with reckless abandonment and say, God, if I never see the bread multiplied, if I never see the fish multiplied, if I never see the sick healed, if I never see the supernatural, I will follow you. When you follow God in that kind of abandonment, the miracles will follow behind you. See, his his disciples said, his brother said, hey, now think about that. You know how people talk, don't you? And his brothers were really, what they were really saying is, hey, your disciples need some encouragement. Why don't you get out there in public and do some more miracles to encourage them? You ever been there? I have. And look at the end of this. It says, and his brothers still did not believe. You know, matter of fact, his brothers never believed till after the resurrection. His brothers. Have you ever been all in on something and your family didn't support you? Have you ever decided to walk with God and sell out to God and you come home and think, boy, my spouse is going to be happy. Wrong. My mom's going to be happy. Wrong. My boss is going to be happy. My children are going to be happy. And then all of a sudden you come home and your greatest cheerleaders have become the cosmic killjoy of your spiritual journey. And the ones you thought would become your greatest support began to be your greatest obstacle. Six months had passed since the disciples had walked away. And yet his brothers still did not believe. Time did not change their belief system. Something else that time did not change. It did not change the mission of Christ. Look with me if you would in verse 7. It says here in verse 7 as he began to lay this, lays this out. Jesus told them, my time has not yet come. The world cannot hate you because it hates me. Evil, it hates evil. And then verse 8 says, Go up to the festivals yourself. I'm going, I'm going up to the, I'm not going up to the festival yet because my time has not yet fully come. Verse 9, stay with me. After he had said these things, he stayed in Galilee a little bit longer. Go with me. Just a little bit further in this passage of scripture. He begins to lay this out and he tells them, He did not allow what man said to manipulate his mission. See, when his brothers came to him and said, let me tell you how to do ministry. You need to alter what you're doing. You need to change your strategy. You need to go now and adopt a new mission. Because your brothers need encouragement. Your disciples need encouragement. They need to see a few more miracles. They need to see a few more miracles so that they can continue to walk with you. And in this passage of scripture, Jesus looks at them and says, my time has not yet come. It's not time for me to do that. I am I am locked in. What is he locked into? The mission and the mandate from the Father. And he says, I am going to do everything in God's timing. Boy, isn't that the hardest thing? One of the hardest things of the spiritual journey is to stay in the timing of God. To stay in his timing and walk it out and obey his timing and wait on the Lord. 
I mean, isn't that a hard verse in Psalms where it says those who wait on the Lord? I mean, we love the bound up on the wings of eagle part. But come on. I mean, just hang out at the camp of waiting. I'm telling you, it is hard to be still and know that he's God. Time did not change his mission. And time did not change his message. Look with me if you would, if you would at verse 10. After these things, his brother had gone up to the festival. Then also he went up, but not openly, but secretly. And the Jews were looking for him at the festival saying, Where is he? Where is this Jesus? Where is the one that is causing all of the problems? And so as we look at this and we continue to look at it, it says, And there was a lot of discussion about him. And the crowds were saying, he's a good man. This Jesus is a good man. And others were saying, oh, no, this Jesus is crazy. He's 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 not good. On the contrary, he's out there deceiving people. And you thought you were the only one that they were saying those kind of things about. He's deceiving people. On the contrary, verse 13, still nobody was talking publicly about him because they feared the Jews. And when the festival was already half over, guess what happened? Jesus showed up. Jesus went up into the temple complex and began to teach. And then the Jews were amazed and they said, how does he know the scriptures since he has no training? And Jesus answered, said, my teaching is not my own, but it is from the one who sent me. Wow. So in this passage of scripture, as he begins to lay this out, He says, if anyone wants to do his will, he will understand whether the teaching is from God or if I'm speaking of my own. The one who speaks for himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is the true and the righteous one. So here's what's happening. Jesus, go up. No, I'm not going up when you tell me to go up. So the brothers went on. The disciples went on. Guess what they're doing? Guess what they're celebrating? They're celebrating The festival of the tabernacles. Remember what I said at the beginning of my sermon? The whole purpose of the festival of the tabernacles was to completely, the sole purpose was to celebrate the presence of God. And in the process of celebrating the presence of God, God was in their presence in the form of Jesus Christ and they didn't even know it. God was there in Christ. Robed in flesh. Stay with me for a moment. Get this. Get this. We're there to celebrate the presence of God. The presence of God shows up. And they don't even know it. The thing that they're celebrating is in their midst. And they don't even know it. Because they're so blinded by the lens of culture. They're so blinded by the lens of religion. They're so blinded by the lens of race. That they cannot even penetrate those barriers to be able to see that God is in their presence. Oh my goodness, what a dynamic. Wow. We're celebrating the... We're celebrating. We're celebrating the presence of God. God's with us. And we don't even know it. Wow. How many times have we missed the presence of God? Because we limit the ability of God according to our understanding. 
how many times do we limit, we've missed the presence of God because we limit our understanding of God, our God's ability to our understanding. Well, I wasn't taught that as a child. I don't understand that. That doesn't fit. Oh, my goodness. God's doing something that doesn't fit in my religious paradigm. It doesn't fit in my religious circle. It doesn't, it doesn't trim up and fit well. Can I tell you, hey, Jesus Christ doesn't fit in any box. He is God in the flesh. He is not going to conform to the understanding of the humanity of man. He is much bigger than that. He walked in their presence, and in their presence they were saying, this man is crazy. No, this man's not crazy. He's good. I'm telling you, some wanted him, some didn't. Is anything changed? But his mission did not change. Time did not change his mission. Understand something. He had a big crowd. And he said, you must partake of my body. You must eat of my flesh. You must drink of my blood. And they said, that's a hard saying. And the scripture of humanity, 666, turned and they walked away. You remember, they didn't even say, could you explain that a little bit more, Jesus? No, they just turned and walked away. We don't want to know anymore. Oh my gosh, that's more than we can comprehend. They turned and walked away from Jesus Christ. But I am telling you that Jesus Christ didn't change his method. He didn't change his mission. He didn't change his message. He stayed the course. If the crowds were there, he stayed the course. If the crowds left, he stayed the course. If the miracles were there, he stayed the course if it was no miracles he stayed the course jesus was not trying to attract the masses he was trying to redeem the sinners and if they only came to him for what he could do not for who he was they would never understand the the the, the divinity of god jesus says you're mad because i'm not down here on a golden throne with golden chariots, seeking my own glory. Here's why they were mad. Because the Messiah, they were looking for a political Messiah. They were looking for a socialist Messiah who fit the social paradigm, not the political socialism. They were looking for somebody who fit the paradigm Filling the void of the social depravity and the political depravity. And if he could fit those two things, he could be the Messiah, even if he wasn't. And I'm telling you today that not much has changed. We're looking for somebody to tickle our political fancy. We're looking for somebody to, that would make us happy in our social paradigm. And Jesus Christ did not come to fulfill our social agenda and make us happy. Fulfill all of our political desires. I'm telling you what Jesus Christ came for. To seek and to save those which were lost. To redeem those who were broken. To redeem those who had no hope and no future. But he came to them and he didn't lower the standard. He didn't say, oh, you come from the wrong side of the track. Therefore, it's going to be a little bit harder for you to embrace who i am he didn't say oh you come from an up-and-coming family and you come from a highly educated family therefore i'm going to raise the bar so that you have to understand more no i am telling you that the ground is level at the foot of the cross whether you're black whether you're right what white hispanic asian no matter what you are jesus christ leveled the playing field he said come and receive me and you can have victory for all and they said, that's a hard saying. I'd rather you tell us, take up arms and go fight. 
in the flesh. Then they have to surrender and be in submission. But he didn't change his message. He didn't change his message then, and he's not going to change it now. He's not going to change it now. And last thing, he didn't change his method. What was his method? Well, there was a movie that came out called The Machine Gun Preacher. I like to think that's kind of how Jesus was. He didn't walk in there and think, how can I coddle them? How can I share the truth without hurting their feelings? Matter of fact, look with me, if you will, in verse 20. They responded to him and said, you have a demon. Well, that makes you feel good when you get through preaching. You have a demon. And uh, the crowd responded, and we want to kill you. Boy, that's good preaching, amen? And so uh, he says, uh, verse 21, Jesus said, I did one work. I want to read this. I want you to get this. He said, I did one work, and you all were amazed. Consider this. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it comes from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. And if a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, then the law of Moses won't be broken. Are you angry at me because I made a man entirely well on the Sabbath? You can circumcise on the Sabbath, but I can't heal a man on the Sabbath. And here's what he says. Stop judging according to the outward appearances. Rather, judge according to the righteousness of God. Some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, isn't this man, isn't this the man that they want to kill? Yet look, he is speaking publicly and they are saying nothing to him. He's bold. Can it be true that the authorities know he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. We know the Messiah comes uh, comes and nobody will know where he comes from. But we know where this man came from. As he was teaching in the temple complexes, Jesus cried out, You know me and you know where I'm from, yet I have not come on my own authority, but on the one who sent me is true. And you don't know him, and I know him because I know, he, I know him. For, I, know, I am from him, and he sent me. And then the authorities wanted to seize him. Look at verse 33. And then Jesus said, I am only with you for a short time, and I am going to the one who sent me. And you will look for me, and you will not find me. Boy, this messed them up again. They started debating, what is it? who does he think he is? Is he going to the place where the Greek gods are? We can't find him. We can find anybody. And verse 37 says, and on, that, and on the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, if anyone is thirsty, he should come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flowing from deep within him. From deep within him. <laughs> Six months earlier, Jesus said, you must eat of my body and drink of my flesh, and you will never hunger again. Now he shows up long enough to say, if you're thirsty, come to me, and inside of you will come springs of living water. And they said, wow, you've got a demon. Jesus never changed his mission. He never changed his message. He never changed his method. Even when they didn't believe, even when they wanted to kill him, he stood up boldly. Look at what they said. Wait a minute. Isn't this the guy? Isn't this the guy that we're trying to arrest? And he has courage to stand up in the middle of us again and begin to rebuke us? 
and begin to challenge us? The uncomfortable message of the uncomfortable gospel can be the most comfortable thing that you've ever worn, that you've ever embodied. When you get to the place of sweet surrenderance. When you get to the place of sweet surrender.